Hey, I would love for you to join us in one of our three Christmas Eve services on December the 24th at the Orchard Church. We have two regular services at four and six and a higher risk service at 2 p.m. that day. All the details are available at fourgilmer.com. That's F-O-R-G-I-L-M-E-R, fourgilmer.com. You can find out all about it and reserve your seat there for one of our two regular services or our higher risk service at 2 p.m. We've all had to miss out on so many things this year, but don't miss out on celebrating Christmas. Join us on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus and worship Him together. Merry Christmas. Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Now, I know you're not a legalist. Yeah, you're not one of those pharisaical Christians who's all about the letter of the law, right? That's what I think about myself. But as I began to make my list of ways that you know you might be a legalist, I kind of had to reassess a few things in my own life. I had to go back and make some changes myself when I began to look at legalism and how it tends to rear its ugly head. Today, I hope you're gonna be following along as we look at this big case that Paul has been making. He's been working on this big case about God being angry and why God is angry and who God is angry at. And as he's been making this case, he's heading toward this huge crescendo, which we aren't going to get to today. We'll get to it soon. But he makes this case, and as he's making it, he is hitting everybody. He's like, God is angry at you, and he's angry at you, and he's angry at you, you know? I mean, first, he talks about the Gentiles, the irreligious people, the people who don't have the law. And he's saying, God is angry at you, Gentiles, right? Because you're terrible, you're awful. Everything you do goes against God's plan and purposes. And then just when he's got all the law keepers, the Gentile, or sorry, the Jewish people all nodding their heads, yeah, yeah, they're bad. Paul says, you think they're bad? You're just as bad, Gentiles, uh, sorry, Jews. And he just hits on them as well. And he is building this case that God is angry at our sin, that he's angry at our sin. That day, that day of judgment is coming because God's angry at sin. And so he's making this big case that all of us have sin all of us make God angry this case is especially hard for the Jewish ear to hear the law keepers ear to hear the legalists ear to hear because we have the law we know the law we keep the law we do everything we can to obey God's law we're God's chosen people and we have his word that we make sure we do all the things in it all the time So it's really hard for them to hear this big case that he is making against them. It's really hard for him to hear. And I think it's hard for us to hear also because we 
I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We really identify a lot more with the religious people of Paul's day than we do the Gentiles of Paul's day. We are people who know the rules, know the Bible, know the truth, know what you're supposed to do as a good church person, right? So we tend to have a lot of, I think, legalism in us. I, I know we deny that. I know we don't like to admit it, but, but I think we, we kind of tend to. But nobody wants to have legalism in them. I mean, what does legalism do to you? It disfigures your outlook on, on everything, on your brother and sister, on, on God. It, it destroys your soul. Nobody should be a legalist. But I think all of us might have just a little bit more legalism in us than we really tend to think. That's so why I want to look at this passage today that, that Paul makes this case in. He says this in Romans 2. He says, the Jewish ceremony, the law keeper's ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you're no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you religious people, you Jews, you legalists who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For you are not a true Jew because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, he says, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision, true circumcision being a member of God's family, true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. So Paul is setting up this incredible paradox for us in all of chapter, the last half of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, this big paradox that he's hitting us hard with. He's talking about being able to obey the law. And here's the big existential paradox. You ready? Here it is. On one hand, it's the first blank on your page. On one hand, you can't obey your way to God. You, you, you can't. The law reveals God's nature. It reveals his character. And it says if you're going to relate to God, if you're going to have a relationship with God, you got to kind of get on his level, right? You, you got to go to where he is, right? You got to come to him. That's what the law is for. The law helps you get to him. And so it draws a line for God's character. It's way, way, way the heck up here. Right? So what it shows you is that it doesn't just show you where God's character is, but it kind of also reveals where our character is. Right? That God's way up here, but we're way the heck down. We aren't just like a little bit below God. We're like way down here. That's what the law is for. The law is there to supposedly help us climb to God. There are 16, sorry, there are 613 commands in the law. We are so far away from God that we got 613 commands in the law that we got to keep up with every day. It's like climbing a ladder and you never get to the top, right? Can you keep up with 613 commands each day? You and I have trouble keeping up with the 10 commandments each day, right? <laughs> But yet there's, I mean, we're so far from God that, 
that we've got 613 commands. You just can't, you can't obey your way to God. You can't do that. That's what the law does is it shows us that we can't quite make it, that no matter how much you try, no matter how hard you climb, no matter how fast you go, no matter how many hands, how many rungs you put your hands on, no matter how many times you go to the temple, no matter how many times you sacrifice goats or sheep or birds, doesn't matter, you still got to do it all over again. Tomorrow's coming, and you still got to keep going, you still got to keep obeying, you still got to keep sacrificing, and you're never going to be enough. Right? It's what Paul tells us it, later in Romans 3. He'll say this. He'll say, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law magnifies that gap between where we are and where God is. And it shows us that we, just, we can climb and climb and climb, but we can't obey our way to God. We'll never make it. That distance is impassable. But here's the other side of that same coin. Can't obey your way to God, but the next blank is this. There's no way to God except to obey. You can't obey your way, but you can't get to him unless you obey. Right? In Romans 2, Paul's already told us this multiple times. He says, for merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. You hear me, church people, merely sitting there with your arms crossed and glazing over in your eyes and letting the word go in your ears, that's not what makes you right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. And you can't obey your way to God, but it's through obeying that you get to God. Okay, what's going on here? How can we deal with this? This is what the religious people are banking on. They're banking that you can't fully understand it. And so they're going to they're gonna do their best to obey their way, to keep working their way up that endless, never getting to the top ladder and sacrificing and sacrificing and obeying and obeying, but never getting there. It's sort of like the definition of insanity, isn't it? I mean, you keep working and working and working, climbing that endless ladder, and you never get there. That's what legalism is. That's what religion tends to be. And that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is the opposite of that. The gospel recognizes that God is way up here and you're way down here, and you cannot obey your way. So God created a solution for us. He sent his son, Jesus, to come live here. Jesus, having no sin of his own. Jesus, not having any deficiency to make up. Jesus, perfectly united with his father in heaven, sinless. He comes to this world, lives 33 years. And Jesus says, I love this, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to what? Fulfill it. I came to fulfill it. You try and you try and you try and you never will. You never will get there. But I already did it all for you. It's what Jesus says. I already fulfilled it all for you. You couldn't do it, so I stepped in and I did it in your place. 
Jesus was sinless, fulfilled the law completely, and he goes to the cross, and on the cross, even though he did not deserve to be there, he went there for you and for me. He went there to take the punishment for your sin and my sin and to pay for it, right? To pay for it so that you don't have to. He dies when you should have died. I should have died. He dies in our place, and then he rose again three days later, and now he lives in us to change us into something new, to do something through us. That's what the gospel is all about. It's all about seeing that he's fulfilled it, so why am I even trying it's all about catching a glimpse of what he's done for you, that he would suffer and die. And a believer, a person of the gospel, is someone who isn't trying and trying. It's someone who's saying, I see that. I've caught a glimpse of that beautiful grace that you've given. How can I live my life in a way that says thank you? What can I do in response to that? It's not about earning. It's about responding. Does that make sense? That's what a person of the gospel does. Yet what happens for all of us is we tend to slide into legalism. All of us do this to one degree or another. We just, we just have these subtle shifts because of culture, because of tradition, because of human pride. We slide into legalism. And before you know it, legalism eats your lunch. It destroys your spiritual life. It ruins your relationship with God and with other people. It undermines everything that Jesus did for you. And so you don't want to be a legalist, but yet we all slide there. That's why today I want us to look at five indicators, five things. You might be a legalist if you've got one or more of these five things. So let's look at them together, okay? I hope you'll be taking notes because this is good stuff, I think. Ready? Here we go. First one, you might be a legalist if you think that God loves you but doesn't like you, right? If you think God loves you but doesn't like you sure you know how you know how you've got that relative you're probably going to see him here in a couple of weeks at thanksgiving where you know i love them but i don't really like them very much you know what i'm talking about does anybody okay david lynn thank you david for nodding very voraciously at me thank you um yeah yeah you know what it's like to love someone but not like them very much you know i mean it's this mental picture you have the mental picture of god looking at you and what's his response when he sees you? You know, some people, I know, I know some people feel like when God sees them, he gets this weird look on his face, and he just has that slow, sarcastic head shake, you know, like, what is wrong with this idiot, right? Am I right? You look at them when they're making a disgusting mess of their life. They're just gross. And you just look at them and you're like, I don't understand you. And some people feel like God looks at them that way. Listen, that's why you aren't close to him. You see, we're drawn to people who like us. Right? We're drawn to people that want to be around us. So we like to hang out with them, do things with them, go places with them, post selfies on Facebook and Instagram with them. Of course, we like those people drawn to them. But as long as you're under the impression that you've got to perform to a certain degree in order to be accepted by God, of course, you're going to keep your distance. 
But I promise you, God does not look at you and shake his head. God sees you as his child. And he sees you, maybe, sure, maybe you make a mess, maybe you're a little disgusting every now and then, but I assure you, he doesn't scrunch up his nose and shake his head. I can think about it in these terms. So my wife is in Florida, and she's with my grandson, who's just about three months old now. And so she's sending me all the pictures. You know, she's taking pictures and video and sending them to me. And she sent me a really disgusting one where he's disgusting and making a mess. Uh, yeah, I got this one the other day. And for the first time, this little baby is learning to eat out of a spoon. Look at that. Come on, come on. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Here he goes. Now listen. Oh, man. I hate that noise. And look, he's just making a mess. He's gross and disgusting. Yeah, look at that. He's just, isn't he sick? He's just gross. Right. I'm the grandfather. I've probably watched this video like 15 times now this weekend. And when I watch this disgusting mess, I get a smile from ear to ear, man. And I'll watch it over and over and over again. Because I love that precious, precious little grandbaby. And I promise you, when God looks at you, sure, you might be a disgusting mess sometimes. You and I both might make a mess in our lives. But when God sees you, he smiles from ear to ear. Why? Because Paul writes to us in Colossians 3, and he says, For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ. You got that? So when God looks at you, he doesn't just see the disgusting mess. When he sees you, he sees his own son, the one he loves the most. And Jesus in you makes him smile from ear to ear. That's how God feels when he sees you. You're hidden with Christ. He loves you. He likes you. He's drawn to you, and he is drawing you more and more to him. So that's the first one. The next one, you might be a legalist if you play the comparison game. If you compare your life to others around you, if you're always comparing yourself to people around you, when you're a legalist, and you play the comparison game, that means that Jesus is not your standard. Instead, your standard is whoever you're comparing to, whoever you've chosen to compare your life to. And as long as your life, as long as your language, as long as your attitude, as long as your personal disciplines, as long as your life measures up and is better than that person's life, then you're good to go, right? Is that right? The Pharisees were, man, they were legalists. They were super legalists. And they were really, really good at comparing themselves to others around them. In fact, I'm not kidding. Pharisees would stand on the street corner and pray loudly. Oh, God, thank you so much that you have made me so much better than these people here. They're all dirty, filthy sinners. All these people around me, look how bad they are, God. But yet you've made me so much better than them. I'm not kidding. That's the way they would stand and pray. They were great 
and comparing themselves to other people around them. Is that what we do? I mean, you probably don't stand on a street corner and call people dirty, filthy sinners, do you? (laughs) The legalists are really good at measuring their lives on a sliding morality scale of those around them. But Jesus says that we are to love God by loving others. Jesus tells us through the Apostle Paul that we are to consider others as better than ourselves. In fact, he writes and he says, Don't, you, you've got to consider their needs before your own needs. You think you're important? He says, you're not that important. Others first and then you. Let's just face it. When you're comparing yourself to others, you're secretly hoping they will fail. Right? You're secretly hoping they will fall, that they will struggle more until they completely have a disaster so that you can be like, yeah, that's what I thought. You can just puff your chest out. Say, I'm, I, I'm good and they're not. Right? I mean, that's what you're secretly hoping for. These are the people whose burdens and struggles you and I are supposed to bear with them. We're supposed to lift them up and encourage them. We're supposed to walk through their difficult times with them. But yet when we're legalists, instead, we silently hope that they'll crash. Publicly, if possible. Because if they look bad, it just makes us look better. That's what the legalist does. Legalism pits you against the people you're supposed to love and care for and it ties your acceptance to them rather than to Jesus right I mean you you feel like you can be superior that you can be better John writes to us and he says this he says friends since God has loved us so much we surely ought to love each other No one, look at this, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God, right? Anybody seen God here? Yeah, no one's ever seen God. He's spirit. You can't see him. You can't quite see him. You can't quite picture him. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful paintings about what he maybe looks like. You know, you got the thing on the Sistine Chapel where God's kind of reaching out to man and man's kind of halfway reaching back out to God, you know, and big white beard I don't know what does God look like I don't know spirit no one's ever seen him but John says you can see him you want to see him because you can you can there is a way to see God look at this he says no one's ever seen God but if we love each other if we love each other then God lives in us and his love is brought right here it is his love is brought to full expression in us If you want to see the fullness, the complete expression of God himself, if you want to see him, it's in us loving each other. If you want to catch a glimpse of God, it's in love for each other. That's where he is, and that's how we see him. It's not in dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. It's in loving each other. Okay, next one. You might be a legalist if your private life doesn't match your public life. You might be a legalist if your private life doesn't match your public life. Okay, for real. Legalism loves an audience. 
right? I mean, we love uh, to show off our amazing Christianity. Good church people love to show up and we're dressed right and we've got the right expression on our face. We know the lingo, the Christian lingo, you know, how you doing great? How you doing great? You know, I mean, we exchange all of the right things. We can operate in the right patterns. We can say all the right stuff, you know. Um, we, we all know the right prayers. We got it all down. And everyone looks at us and sees what an amazing faith-filled, spirit-filled person that is. Truth of the matter is that when you get alone, your amazing life isn't quite as amazing. You know, you would not want us to come over and, I don't know, check your browsing history or listen to the way you talk to your spouse or your kids. Or, or know how much you really drink. Right? I mean, you wouldn't want us to know those things about you. There's stuff that you want to keep quiet and private because those things don't fit the narrative that you want told about yourself. We hope the spotlight never shines there. Legalism loves an audience, but only at the right time and in the right place. Jesus tells us, what is no big secret to us in Mark 4, he says, everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought to life. In other words, you can only put lipstick on that pig for so long. You can only gloss over everything for so long. You can only fool everybody around you for so long. Maybe you can even fool yourself for a while, but you can't fool God. He knows who you really are. And for the legalist whose life doesn't match up, we have sadly shifted our focus from living in response to what God has done for us to impressing others around us. Next one. You might be a legalist if the world's injustices aren't important to you. Yeah, you might be a legalist if problems in the world around you don't matter to you okay so you know what it means to be a good christian a good christian right a good christian that's you i mean you're you're doing everything you can to be you read your bible every now and then you don't cuss you don't drink you don't have sex outside of marriage i mean you know you show up in church on sundays you do all the right things that's what it means to be a good christian i'm doing all the most important things <laughs> and i say really so, Jesus died so that you would behave? That's what he sacrificed his life for? Is so that you would be a good little boy, a good little girl. That's what Jesus wants out of your life? I got news for you, news flash. Jesus hates this mistaken idea. He was talking to the legalists of all legalists. You know, the ones who were just the best at making sure they meticulously did all the right things and didn't do the bad things. He was talking to these people about their practice of endless ladder climbing. And here's what he said in Matthew 23. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees. And then he calls them a name. What does he call them? Hypocrites legalists for you are careful to tithe even the 
tiniest income from your garden. All right, you, you, you make sure you do all the meticulous dot every I, cross every T, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is saying this was never about obeying rules. This was never about gaining acceptance by making sure you touch every rung on the ladder. It's not that. It's not that. It's not about you behaving. Jesus didn't come and sacrifice his life so you would behave. There's something much bigger going on here, much more for you to be part of. Justice, mercy, where are you on that? Why is your Christian life so minuscule and tiny when Jesus died for it to be so much bigger? Believer, if you and I turn a blind eye to suffering, impoverished, hurting people around us, if we turn a blind eye to the addicted and the abused and the neglected, if we forget about widows and orphans, what are we doing here? That's why we're really excited that today we kick off the Hope Tree. That's our yearly ministry to that underprivileged group of people that live out there at Tower Road. You know, we love that ministry. We're, very, we're always about those families out there at Tower Road. In fact, my mom and dad's life group went out there just yesterday uh, to do their part. We do a monthly cleanup effort in, uh, in their community out there. We've got life groups out there once a month doing that because we love them and we want to show them that we care about them. And this Christmas, a lot of those illegal Guatemalan immigrant children out there will not have Christmas gifts unless we step in and show them the love of Christ. And so today, today, you can see our hope tree. It's set up right outside, right directly on the opposite side of that wall, kind of down the hallway. You can see our hope tree. On the hope tree, it's decorated with the faces of real kids whose homes we've been in, you know, whose names we know. Who, whose lists come from them. They've made Christmas lists that we have for you. And you can go out there today and you can, you can take a kid or two or three or four and you can make Christmas happen for kids in those families by providing Christmas gifts for them. It's really simple. You, you take their information and you go Christmas shopping. Who doesn't love Christmas shopping? Amazon, that's what I say, Amazon. <laughs> and you go shopping to make their little faces smile. And you bring it back here, I think, on November 15th, no later than November 15th, and we've got people that will deliver them out there and make sure those kids get those presents. That's what this is all about. It's about not focusing on the little minuscule things, but focusing on the bigger picture hope tree starts today and i hope you won't leave this building without going by and just non-social distancing for a minute and getting a kid or two from the hope tree will you do that this morning sure okay david david lynn again thank you <laughs> all right one more uh i think one more yeah
You might be a legalist if you live in a Christian bubble. <coughs> yeah, you might be a legalist if you live in a Christian bubble. I, I know I hear this all the time. People, you know, pastor, pray for me. You know, I work in an environment and everybody I work with, their attitude is bad, their language is bad, they're always talking about how they've been partying all weekend and all that kind of stuff, and it just drags me the heck down. Please pray for me, Pastor. I'm like, yeah, man, let me pray for you. How can, uh, let me, let me just, let's pray right now. And they're like, yeah, please do. Pray that I'll get out of that situation and I'll find me a job with a bunch of Christians who love Jesus that can build me up and I have looked at people before and said I will not pray that way I will not pray for you that way because yeah you're in a tough situation you're in a tough environment it's called the mission field and God knew each of those people and he knew every situation they're in and he put you right in the middle of it to shine your dang light right into all of that stuff and to show them the love of Christ. That's why you're there. I'm not gonna pray that God gets you out of that. I'm gonna pray that God pushes you deeper into that and shines his light brightly through you into all that that's what we're here to do i know too many times we christians think it's all about getting away from the world getting out of the world we need to get into our christian activities our christian schools our christian groups and our christian clubs and we withdraw from the very world that we're supposed to be at the light to we get away from the very people that we are supposed to influence to christ legalists don't like that Legalists want to, we'll have our thing, you have your thing. But Jesus hates that. Right? One day in Matthew 9, Jesus was walking along and he saw a man named Matthew. Matthew, Matthew. Now, I know how they portray him on the TV show Chosen. By the way, love that show. Have you seen that show, The Chosen? Dude, if you haven't seen it, it's an app. You have to get the app, and you can watch it on your TV, but you have to do it through the app. It is awesome. Uh, I know the way they portray Matthew. Okay, I'm not going to argue with all that, but let's just face it. Matthew was a disliked character. All right, he's probably a partier, probably heavy on the alcohol, hung out with all the disreputables, the bags of deplorables. That's who he hung out with the whole time. And Matthew was a guy that all the good Jewish people hated. Because Matthew was seen as a traitor. Because the Romans had come in and were oppressing the Jews. And Matthew worked with the bad guys. He worked with the, tr the, the, the oppressors. He was a traitor to his own people. And he was unfairly collecting taxes from his brothers and sisters to fund the oppressors. They hated Matthew. And Jesus sees Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. And Jesus says get out of here you scumbag is that what jesus says he says follow me come with me come with me i want i want you come be my disciple and so matthew got up and followed him and look what matthew does pray for me jesus i just i know too many bad people i'm just involved in too many bad things i just need to stay with you and be away from them is that what happens is that what happens Here's the very next sentence. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. 
But the legalists hated this. And they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Look what legalism does to your view of other people around you. And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. In other words, it's about the big picture. It's not about the little meticulous I's and T's. It's about the big picture. Show mercy. For I have come, he says, to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Jesus says, I come to you so that you will make a difference in this world. Matthew was a disgusting, traitorous tax collector. And God used him to write what we know today to be the first book of the New Testament. Matthew's legacy continues today to tell the good news about Jesus. Come on. That's amazing here. That's, and that's what God's, that's what Paul's talking about here in Romans, in this passage in Romans that we're studying. Let's go back to it real quick. Romans 2, 29. <clears throat> he says, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, he says, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. It's not about the I's and the T's. It's not about the, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing? Great. It's not, it's not that. It's not about your behavior. It's about a change of heart produced by the Spirit. What can change your heart? Dude, when you see what Jesus has done for you, how can it not change your heart? It's about catching a glimpse of grace, of Jesus giving his life on your behalf on the cross. That's what changes a heart. It's sort of like that woman who was caught in adultery. You know the story. Jesus and his disciples are in town, and suddenly the legalists, the Pharisees, they drag this woman throw her on the ground in front of Jesus she was caught committing adultery notice there's only a she there's no he in the story here she was caught and you know what the law says Jesus and we're legalists we're all about keeping the law quick get me a rock and they're all about keeping the law so they gather around her and you know they pick up stones we think of you know stones but they, they wanted to pick up skull crushing stones anyway, in my mind it's probably not like this but in my mind you know they're picking up alright I'm ready and they're standing there waiting for Jesus to respond will he respond with the legalist response kill her here but you know what Jesus does he says you who are without sin only those people get to cast the first stone. And the legalists don't even know what to do about it. They can't understand that at all. That doesn't compute in their heads. And one by one, they drop their rocks and they walk away. Jesus comes to the woman caught in adultery. He should not, if he's a good, 
legalist rabbi. He should be far, far away from her. But instead, he comes to her. In my head, he kneels right down to her on the ground where she was. He looks her in the eye, and he says, who condemns you now? She said, nobody. And Jesus, Jesus of all people, says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I believe the adulterous woman caught it. She caught a glimpse of grace, and she lived her life in response after that. Go and sin no more. Not because you can now earn your way past this, but because you want to respond to it. When you see grace, it changes your heart. The adulterer can embrace grace, but the legalist can't even understand it. That's the gospel. The gospel is, last blank on your page, the only antidote to legalism. Seeing what Jesus did for you on the cross is the only antidote to legalism. That's why at the Orchard Church we preach the gospel. We always lead with the gospel. It's always the gospel. I want to show you grace. I don't want to teach you how to behave. I just want you to see Jesus. And I want you to live your life in response to him. Mm -hmm.